0: The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus the Liberating King and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So since Easter Sunday, the teaching in our gatherings has focused on the idea of remembering. We're discussing the importance of remembering who God is and who we are called to be in the ongoing story of God and his relationship and interaction with people. And much of our remembering takes place in the form of sharing stories. The swapping of stories builds community and identity, and it allows us to find points of connection with one one another. It allows us to deepen our understanding of ourselves and each other. So today we're gonna look at three stories from Scripture that I learned in Sunday morning Bible class when I was in preschool. And these are three stories that I learned and I could recite them before I was able to read them. And I could do this because my church had this very state-of-the-art equipment called flannel graph. And I don't know if anyone else in here ever heard a story told on flannel graph. It's kind of a precursor to a precursor to PowerPoint. Every classroom in my church building had a flannel board, which is a board a little bit smaller than a chalkboard covered with cloth. And each Bible story that was being told in a certain uh, period of time had these paper dolls that came with it. And the teacher would put the paper doll on the flannel graph as he or she spoke about whatever Bible character they were speaking about. And then they would add little props. Like if it was shepherds, there'd be little sheep and there'd be a staff, and they would just kind of build the story on this flannel board. So because of flannel graph, I learned these stories as a four-year-old. But they came back to me at some critical moments in my adulthood. Let this remind us that what happens in our kids' spaces really matters. The smiles that are exchanged between kids and volunteers, the creativity that's developed and expressed through play and through crafting, the relationships developed between our kids and other adults in their community, Bible stories that are told and then acted out. This is really important work. Those stories become what our children will know to be trustworthy and reliable and true. And our children need us to go into their spaces and to tell the Bible stories that we know so that God's truth will take root in their hearts. And one day it will emerge when they are facing loss and betrayal and doubt and confusion and sadness and grief. And it will help them understand to know how to treat themselves and how to treat others as God's beloved. And when I say we need to go into their spaces and tell them stories, I don't mean it figuratively. I mean like we need you to snap this QR code and sign up to volunteer to go into our kids' spaces and tell some of these stories. We really are in the need of some volunteers right now in these spaces. And while I did not plan this kind of to go along with it, what I'm gonna talk about today is really the reason. Because it really does matter what gets planted in your heart when you're a young person. And those things will stay with you for the rest of your life. And we want to make sure that we are planting seeds of goodness and truth in our children. Because remembering the stories that I learned in my childhood kid spaces have carried me through difficult seasons. Sean has mentioned several times in his talks um, that we struggled with infertility in the early years of our marriage. I think it would be easy for a lot of you to look at us now and to think that that is over, that we're over all of that and that it's no longer a significant part of who we are. But that's just not true because we have memory. And we remember those years of wondering and questioning and being on a monthly roller coaster of hope and disappointment. We remember hosting baby shower after baby shower, sometimes for our friends' second and third children. I remember years of trying to minimize my own heartache because I really did want to celebrate the joy in the lives of my friends, and I wasn't quite sure how to deal with both emotions we experienced years of inappropriate and really insensitive comments from people who didn't recognize our grief or who just couldn't handle it, and so they couldn't let it infiltrate their space. For me, this was years of deconstructing what I thought I knew about prayer and its purpose and the role that it played in the life of a believer. It was years of grieving that my body just wasn't doing something that it had been designed to do. But in the years that I was dealing with infertility, so was my closest lifelong friend, a woman named Rebecca. And I like to think that Rebecca and I have a little bit of a unique history. We've been friends since being babies together in our church nursery. Our parents were very, very dear friends and have been friends for over 48 years. Rebecca and I remain close, even though it's been over 20 years since we even lived in the same state. So this is us sometime, I think, around 1977. You know that because the picture is, first of all, not digital, and it has a lovely yellow hue that has come over it because it has sat in a photo album for probably about 40 years. I'm a little bit ahead of Rebecca in school, but our years at Abilene Christian when we were in college did overlap and we were both legacies there. We were dating our future husbands around the same time and so we had grand plans that we would also, of course, have our children at the same time so that this incredible unique friendship should just could carry over into the third generation. But instead, We spent the decade of our 20s and the first part of our 30s dealing with infertility, both of us. And for years, we exchanged emails and phone calls, sharing our hopes and disappointments, giving each other medical wisdom we had learned from our physicians or things we had read in articles. We prayed for one another and we prayed with one another. We just pleaded that God would give us children and during this season, I have been involved in a Bible study. We were looking at a pretty in-depth look at the book of Genesis. And I became really attracted to the story of Genesis 32, when Jacob wrestles with the Lord. And Genesis tells the story like this. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life is preserved. So this is a story that I learned in childhood, And when it returned to me in my late 20s in the midst of fertility issues, which was probably my first big grief in life, I was struck with a new reality about the story, that my life was going to be filled with struggles. There was simply no way around it. I started to realize that everyone that I admired, everyone who I would have said was wise, Everyone I went to for advice or for mentoring, everyone in our church that I thought was truly spiritually formed had one thing in common. They had been through some pretty great struggles. I knew that whether it was infertility or disappointment with people or family hurts or the loss of a job or death or moves or the loss of relationship, or going through times of questioning and periods of doubt. I was going to have times of struggle, and every time I was going to have to make a decision. I could let go. I could stop struggling. I could stop questioning. And I could not grow. Or I could hold on to God until God blessed me. I shared this with Rebecca and we decided that we were going to be people who held on. We were not going to be angry or bitter. We were going to be faithful while we struggled remaining in God until God blessed us. And we acknowledged that maybe God would bless us through pregnancy and through having children, but maybe he wouldn't. Maybe the blessing would be a peace about not having children. And maybe the blessing would be the gift of new dreams for what our lives could be. Rebecca and I love this exchange. And she even added to it one day saying, you know what? If we're really paying attention, I'll bet we could see that God is blessing us even in the struggle. Several months later, I received an email from Rebecca asking, when was the last time you read Daniel? And I didn't really know because I wasn't really one to just sit and read all the prophets. Um, But she sent another message and said, you need to go right now and read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I sent back a message and I said, you mean the guys in the fire? And she sent back a message. I think she was tired of me asking questions because it was just the text of Daniel chapter three. And it reads like this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some of the astrologers came forward and began denouncing the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, "'May the king live forever.'" Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty." They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, well, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded that some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent And the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Now, if you continued reading in that chapter, you would discover what my teacher showed when telling this story on flannel graph. Because the flannel graph version of this story shows not three but four men standing in the fiery furnace, which is what Nebuchadnezzar saw. For God had sent an angel to watch over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And though they are standing in the fiery furnace, they do not burn. So the king commands that they be removed from the furnace, and he demands that everyone now must praise and worship the God of Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, And so it all worked out. But that wasn't actually the point of the story that Rebecca had focused on in her exchange with me. Rebecca had focused on this scripture that says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to the king, oh king, if our God chooses to save us from the fire, let him. But king, even if he doesn't, We are not going to bow down to your statue. And we are not going to worship you. That little phrase, even if he doesn't. These words kind of became like a mantra for me and Rebecca. We would pour our hearts out in these emails, expressing our hurts and wants and pleadings and fears And every so often, one of us would sign our email with the words, but even if he doesn't. See, we wanted to encourage one another, really encourage one another, not just give like kind of happy self-help work, like, oh, think a good thought. We didn't want to say, just keep praying about it and make promises that we knew neither of us had the power to guarantee. We wanted to remind each other that we had made a commitment to be faithful to our Creator. We wanted to remind each other that we serve a God who is sovereign and whole and good. A God who is trustworthy and loving and true and constant even in times of waiting and wanting and wondering. The final story from my years of flannel graph learning is likely more familiar to you. It's found in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and it's commonly known as the prodigal or the lost son. It's a parable. It's a story that Jesus told his followers to explain truths about God and about people, and the nature of their relationship. The Gospel writer tells the story this way. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the wealth that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them, and a few days later the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant region, and there he squandered his wealth in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that region and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that region who sent into his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled his own stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and some to spare? and here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, Now, his elder son was in the field, and as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what was going on? And he replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. And then he became angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, listen. For all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Now, you've never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And then the father said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and he's come to life. He was lost and he's been found. To better show kind of how this story returned to me in adulthood, I wanna show you one last picture It's of me and Rebecca and our families on vacation. I know it's several years old, but we're in one of our favorite places, which is Breckenridge, Colorado. And even though there have been many pictures of all eight of us taken since this one, this one is unique because we're all looking at the camera. (laughs) And everyone knows that that's the picture that moms want, right? We're all looking at the camera in the right direction. No one is crying. It's nearly perfect. I also love it because, like, these are my people. You may realize that Sean is black and I'm white. Rebecca is Chinese. Her husband, Russ, is white. Um, Our daughters are biracial, Malia and Kate. Rebecca's daughter, Kate, yes, we even named our daughters the same thing. Uh, Rebecca's daughter, Kate, is Latina, and their son, Jack, who's being held by Rebecca, is Filipino. And one of the best parts of this trip that we all took to Breckenridge was watching other people watch us. Because you could tell that people were trying to figure out who went with whom and how these four adults produced these four kids. So we mixed it up a lot. But see, Russ and Rebecca, didn't ever experience pregnancy. They have two fabulous kids in Kate and Jack, and they adopted them through what was sometimes a long and painful, but really beautiful journey. But it never erased for them the pain of infertility. In fact, as thrilled as Sean as I were when we found out we were pregnant with our oldest daughter, I still remember laying in bed one night and saying to him, how am I going to tell Rebecca? And when I did finally tell her, I said something like this. We're going to have a baby. I'm pregnant. I'm so sorry. And we kind of laugh about that now. But it's kind of brought to mind for me, the lost son when he returns home and doesn't think he deserves a party. Yet his father is so determined to host a celebration in his honor. See, I didn't think that Rebecca would want to or maybe even could share in our celebration because I knew this news was going to be hard for her. I worried because we were no longer on the same journey. I grieved how this pregnancy actually separated us and put us on different paths. I knew we were going to now be, in the world's eyes, kind of in separate groups. And we were going to have all of these different experiences. But just like in the story of the prodigal son, it's the party and the celebration that brings everyone back together. The week after I told Rebecca I was pregnant, we received a package in the mail. It was a beautiful garment for our baby, hand-stitched from Asia. She was joining in our celebration, and once again, we were united, this time in gratitude. Gratitude and joy and unified, and that we were testifying to God's work in our lives. I wonder, do you allow yourself to be celebrated? Regardless of what you may have done a decade ago or two years ago or six months ago or even last night, even for mistakes you'll make in six months, do you allow others to celebrate you? Because God, the creator of the universe, designed you And loves you you're worthy of celebrating because you're worthy of love I wonder will you choose will you be the kind of person who celebrates others even when it may be really challenging and even when it may feel really unfair Some of you know that about 20 years ago, my dad um, died very suddenly from a heart attack at the age of 58. My mom was with him, and she has always said that his transition from her presence to the Lord's presence just seemed instantaneous. And when this happened, Rebecca and her family were there within a day or two, and they shepherded us and walked with us through all the ritual of laying my dad to rest Her dad gave the eulogy at my dad's service. And in the years since, they have often grieved with us when we hit difficult points in dealing with the loss. Several years later, Rebecca's dad also had a heart attack. Now, my dad had a heart attack 14 minutes from a level one trauma center that has a huge cardiovascular wing. I mean, people are just sitting around this hospital waiting for heart problems to appear. Rebecca's dad, he had his heart attack on a fly fishing trip in the wilderness of New Mexico, where when he started having chest pains, he had to be put on a boat and rowed back to the entrance of where they had entered the water. His friends had to carry him the parking area and get him in the car and then drive him to the nearest small town so he could receive some kind of medical attention. And he turned 80 last month. But I tell you, as much as we have grieved the loss of my dad, we have just as much celebrated that David's life was spared that day. It hasn't always been easy, but I'm so glad that he was here to know Jack and to know Kate. And I'm so glad that she has not had to go through losing him earlier than she should. See, if we're really going to celebrate God's work in the world, It cannot be only the work that benefits us. It cannot be only the work that answers our prayers. God's blessings in Rebecca's life are not about me. God's blessing in the lives of others are not about me. To be a true friend, to build community, to blend our stories into this greater story we must be willing to look beyond ourselves and to recognize the beauty of the work of God in the lives of others. And when we see it, we must acknowledge it and say to that, amen, God be praised. So on this particular day, that's complicated for many, that brings up all kinds of different emotions for different people. It may be good for you to remember that our God celebrates you. The prophet Zephaniah offers a blessing to you, a reminder of how your creator sees you. And maybe on the days when you feel unworthy or unseen or unloved, maybe you could read this and allow those words to wash over you and to comfort you. And maybe when you hit a time where celebrating others feels really difficult, when it's hard for you to find words of joy and celebration to pass along to other people, you can always borrow these words from Scripture and offer them as a blessing to others. (laughs) And so Ecclesia, I bless you with these words today. Hear and receive and remember. The word of the Lord recorded by Zephaniah. The Lord our God is with you. He is mighty to save the Lord takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he rejoices over you with singing. May the love of God and the peace of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and guide you today and always. Amen.